Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week, we're discussing being a black female CEO with Renee Richardson. Hey guys, how's everyone doing? Good, we're good. Um, so this week, we have Renee Richardson, who is the founder and CEO of Broccoli Content, which is a UK-based podcast production company. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. Renee, welcome. Thank you for have thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what makes you a dope black woman. This is something that we ask all of our guests. Okay, right. Um, I'm Renee Richardson. I'm the founder and CEO of Broccoli Content. Um, this is a podcast company, but it could be more one day. Um, I'm a dope black woman because, I don't know, what do people say? They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they want. Whatever comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. I hate saying, cool. I hate talking about myself, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Humility, that could make you a dope black I, I'm woman. I'm definitely not humble. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Well, you're awesome and creative. I mean, look at what you've come up with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's say that because I'm awesome. I I mean, that's why I would have said anyway. Like, I am awesome. Yeah, that's why I'm awesome. Yeah, that works. You're awesome. That's all you need to do. I mean, yeah, as, as Liv said, being a black female CEO is... There are not too many of you going around. So I think that says quite a bit about what you've been able to accomplish and you look mad young so that's some moisturization go- <laughs> yeah. moisturizing black, don't crack, black don't crack we can't assume ages guys <laughs> yeah so yeah tell us a little bit about how you got involved in podcasting generally uh tell us a little bit about broccoli content and yeah um yes yeah, so i got involved in podcasting after like i think working in tv and film for 15 years um I basically I quit um the production company I was working in I'd worked on production like on sets 
And I was ready to throw it all in because I became jaded and I was going to become a, well, I was going to hopefully open a vegan cafe. I even trained as a barista so I can make good coffee. <laughs> I was all, I was set. I was set. I was going to look for like small business loan. I was going to do it. And then a job description for a job at Acast, which is a, a podcast platform, came through my inbox. I read it and I was like, this sounds actually quite interesting. So I sent the person who sent it to me an email. And I said, can I go for a coffee with this? Can I throw myself like my hat in the ring? And she was like, oh yeah, definitely. I went for the interview and then I got the job. And that was my first, like my start in podcasting. I was a content manager at Acast. Um, yeah. Okay, nice. Dope. And did you always kind of love being a part of TV, film, industry, radio? Like, what was it like growing up? How did you fall into that arena generally? I mean, it's literally the only thing I, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to do anything else because I've only worked in film and TV since I was 14. Um, wow. So, like, I did, like, a stint at Pizza Hut, like everyone else after school and stuff. <laughs> but literally um, was a child actor, you know, went to stage school, went to the Brit school, um, worked in a post room at a talent agency from age Oh, what, you went to the Brit school? Yeah. Oh, what, what year? Alumni guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, when were you guys there? As in what year did we graduate? Yeah. 2000, oh, let me work out my math. 2013, because I'm 2014. Oh, you guys were, yeah. well, I was there way before then when it was a rubbish. <laughs> I was there the same year as Amy Winehouse. Ooh, <laughs> like back, oh, back, wow, back, that's back, dope. back in the day. <laughs> um, and it was bad then, yeah. She left after one term. They don't, they don't actually admit Mad. that. <laughs> yeah, she literally came in and was like, no, I'm getting out. But of course. You have pictures still in the photography room. But the Brit school, they don't, they don't acknowledge that she left. <laughs> like literally, so literally funny. she, 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 she was only there for one term. <laughs> and they, so they gloss over that fact. <laughs> but back then it was awful. It was really bad then, yeah. <laughs> so wait, Shannon lives, do you guys, did you guys know each other at the school as well? No, we were there no. at the same time. And I know, when I first met Liv and she said she was from Brit, she showed me a picture of her friends and I was like, I know everyone in that photo but you. Because <laughs> when she was the year below, we didn't actually, like we'd never have classes together or anything like that. So unless you knew someone who knew someone. Mm. Yeah. Just, what it, did it, you yeah. guys such study? Such a small world. BGC. Done love. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're here today, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what did you study? Um, dance. Uh. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then, no, that was, there was an accident though. Cause uh, you know, you can choose like what order you want, like your top choice, your second choice and that. Right. Yeah. My, I think it was like my third choice dance. I wanted to do music, but I guess that course was full. So I ended up doing dance oh. and I just have, yeah. So I went, I carried on because what, you know, what else was I going to do? But I never wanted to be a dancer. Like ever. Oh. <laughs> I just, <laughs> You were like, I'll just take it. Maybe it'll be like high school I'll musical. Just, yeah, I mean, it was every every day was like an episode of Fame. You know, I, I did enjoy yeah, it. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Everyone singing in the canteens and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was normal. Jumping on tables, just breaking out with song. Yeah, yeah you know, I loved it. I like my. That's when I refer to like my my musical when my life was a musical. <laughs> the brute years. Yeah, those years, like fourteen to six uh, to eighteen. That was my like musical years when like people just break into song over lunch. Oh, wow. I should clarify to Leanne. BDC was um, 
broadcasting what was it broadcasting digital communication yeah that so was media, gonna be my basically. next question actually <laughs> like <laughs> media basically it sounds like porn that's so mad the whole life is full circle because look everybody on this call now basically has come together in this space that's kind Aww. of crazy it's <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> Um, so Renee, tell us how you transitioned from doing dance to <laughs> to becoming the first UK production company to partner with Sony because that's massive. Um, yeah, so like I, I knew I was never so when I was a child actor, like I was terrible. I knew from my first audition on my first day on set that was at that point. Then I realised, oh my god, I can't act. But it was too late. Um, but I knew I couldn't make a career from it. So that was, but I had to do it through school. Same as dance. I knew I was never going to be a dancer, but I had to just work my way through school, you know, because, you know, why not? Um, but basically when I was in a, a, a talent, in the talent agency, I wanted, my first goal was to be like an agent. Um, and so because I went straight from basically college, I had a year off where I was trying to make it <laughs> as a dancer. Um, <laughs> but um, then I just got a job as um in the post of a talent agency and I knew I wanted to like work my way up and be an agent um from in the talent agency you learn a lot about the business of entertainment because that's basically where everyone gets their job that's where all the deals are made um that's where literally every if you're a writer a singer actor director like you're all represented the talent agency I worked at PFD and United Agents they're like the biggest ones in Europe so they had massive massive talent so I think Kira Knightley Ricky Gervais Henry Cavill uh like they've got all the big British stars like they're represented there and so I got to learn from like the best agents in like some of the best agents in the world. So I picked up the business side and um, I realized I didn't really want to be an agent because it's kind of like recruitment and which is why I went into TV production because I wanted to make the actual shows. And so I ended up working at um, Sprout Pictures, which is Stephen Fry's company and then Drama Republic. Um, they make the Honorable Woman and they made Black Earth Rising. And it's basically started by the exec producer who exec produced Peaky Blinders and Billy Elliot. I worked there, loved it, but that's when I became jaded about diversity. And I was like, oh, no one has a chance. <laughs> um, so that's why I was gonna leave. But I think those skills that I acquired from my years, like working my way up as a, in a talent agency and working in a production company, gave me the skills in order to run a business. So when, the, when at the point when Sony were interested, I already had a business plan. I already had my purpose for the company. I already had my store. Like, you know, every company should have a story. I had the story. I mean, it's true, but I have a story. And I had all that in place. So when Sony came, when I came to meet, like, one of the head honchos in New York, he came over here, so I was in London. Um, I just told him who I am, what Broccoli does, and they kind of bought into it immediately. I was just going to say it's interesting that you mentioned he was American because um, broadly speaking, there is this idea that in terms of diversity, in terms of black opportunities, America is so far ahead than Britain. Do you think that's true I mean, of radio and podcasts? Um, People talk about it in terms of the film industry a lot. So my opportunities in audio, the big ones came from America. Um, I was so when I worked in a talent like in when I was a producer it was a it was a terrible experience but it was still a Brooklyn based company um, 
And for me to even get that job as the producer, I just don't think I would have here in the UK at all. Mm. And the Sony deal, yes, it was um, their Sony Global. So Sony Global had may have made a commitment to move into podcasting. But the initial introductions and initial meetings were from Sony UK. But that might also be because their music. I think mm. in... So that music is a different... Music has still obviously it's diversity problems and loads of issues but there are especially in sony a lot of black people in within sony who work at um yeah who work at sony so i think that i think in audio if you want to get opportunities 100 in, in tv film 100 has to be from america america's mm. terrible if you're a black person like one of some of my worst experiences in media have been working with american companies um because you're really you know you're black in america <laughs> um and that's a different story yeah. to being black here honestly but the opportunities that i got from working with american companies they w- I, that would never happen i wouldn't be in the position i am now if i didn't do it. if i just stuck with the uk forget it i'd still be an assistant and is, is that it, something you think you can do remotely i did it all remotely Oh, really? Yeah, I would not live in America. I used to want to, but no, you couldn't pay me to live there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I did it all remotely. I would go over a lot, um, like maybe once or twice a quarter I'd go to New York. Um, but I did it all working remotely because you can because of the internet. But then the time difference, no? Yeah, it's only five Must hours. Must have been a huge... It's only five hours. <laughs> it's five hours. You get a head start on the day. It's fine. <laughs> Mad. How, how did it work when it came to like making those connections? Was it like LinkedIn? I'm not on LinkedIn. It's Twitter. I made all of the connections I've made in podcasting. Wow. Is Twitter. Um, I from when I got into podcasting, I was having conversations when I was at Acast. My one of my goals as content manager, not goals, jobs. my role um I had to sign shows onto the platform so I because I've been like diversity I'm very passionate about the whole time um I deliberately went after trying to partner with black shows regardless of where they were in the world so I made a lot of connections with black US podcasters right at the beginning when there were hardly any and that's how I met like Barry from Podcasting Colour. Joy Marie, um, she works at, she now works at Facebook, but she used to have this podcast called Job Logs. It was one of the first like black business podcasts. That was one of the first shows I signed at Acast. But she introduced me to like um, a lot of, she got me into the New York um, radio group and she introduced me to a lot of people. So basically what I would do is I'd reach out, I'd follow, you know, you interact with people on Twitter for ages and then I'd be in New York. I'd be like, hey, you know, send them a DM. I'm going to be in New York. Do you want to go for a coffee? And that's how the Twitter relationships became real relationships. And a lot of the opportunities that I've had in America have been through those people I initially met on Twitter who went into real relationships who referred me for jobs. Amazing. I was just going to ask because a lot of the women that we've had on the podcast who enter into kind of non-traditional careers often say how much backlash that they receive from their family and friends because you know especially in black communities you're expected to go down a particular route so I'm just wondering in terms of your background and kind of your upbringing um what was that like when you told your parents what you were going to do and or did they have were you kind of brought up with values that allowed you to be more open and everybody was flexible my mum has backed me for anything I she's always said 
like anything you want to do, you can do it. She actually convinced me not to go to um, university because she knew I hate authority figures, which is quite rare. <laughs> but she wow. she just knew I wouldn't get on there. I wouldn't. Like I was one of like I think five people at the Brit School who've ever been banned from the Brit Awards. I'm one of them. <laughs> Stop it now. <laughs> like I'm not even lying. <laughs> Because I just don't get on with authority figures. <laughs> I just tell it like it is. And, and they don't like that. <laughs> uh, so my mum, when I got into university, I got into a sound, funnily enough, I got into a sound engineering course at Kingston University. And my mum was like, are you sure you want to go to university? Are you sure you need that? And I was like, I don't. So I didn't go. She was like, see what happens over the summer before you go. And basically, I mean, we couldn't afford it anyway, but like, um, cause it was like a private course cause it was at their gateway, these studios. Um, so it was like a proper kind of like a, an apprenticeship slash degree slash, you know, um, and it was really expensive. So we couldn't afford it anyway. Um, but she was like, see what happens over summer. Like she was basically saying, don't go. <laughs> take your time. Yeah, take think your time. About have it. a think. Find, find yourself. I'm not at home. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. So we have to ask what happened at the Brit Awards. Like, what's going on with Oh, us? no, they just hated me, the, the school. <laughs> basically, it's true. Uh, basically, I would say, so I'm not, I'm not difficult, but I'm not, I'm, I just push back. Like, I'm not gonna, if you're a dancer, like, why have you not got any dance credits? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you're a teacher... And oh, so you would beef the teachers? Yeah. Because <laughs> I... Because that's a Have you been in a fucking movie? <laughs> but I... Because I went to... When I went to... So I went to a different stage school before the Brit school. And my teacher's like... So my tap teacher was in Stomp. Like, like before. Before, before the oh. Brit school. So I was like... I was learning tap from an excellent teacher. And when, like, I had, like, my drama teachers were in... Like, one of my dance teachers was in West Side Story at the time. So, like, you'd... They'd, there'd be a lot of temps because the actual teachers were out working as well. So you were getting the full, like, this is what it's like to be a working performer. At the Brit school, everyone just had time to teach. And I'm like, why? And then they, and then they like tried to um, convince me to go to um, university to study, to become a dance, like to study dance at university. I was like, if I wanted to be a dancer, university is the last place you go. And mm. so I would just push back. And obviously they didn't like that. So when there was a day, there was a train crash, a quite a big train crash, like the Hatfield train crash or something. And everyone, basically all the trains were stopped. So I was, it was me and everyone who went to the Brit school because we were all stuck at Victoria. Everyone went in and they used it as an excuse to ban me. They said, I can't go to the Brit Awards. And everyone met, they met LL Cool J, they met oh um, Destiny's Child, they oh met um, Craig David. I was at home. <laughs> Stop it now. <laughs> I, exactly. I watched it on TV. <laughs> the bad man no. is unreal. Yeah, so that's what they did the first year. And then the second year, they, it was like, um, we had the opportunity to dance for Mystique. And oh, everyone wow. was like, oh no, we should focus on the anniversary show because we were all there last year. And I was like, well, one of us wasn't, but I didn't get to go that year either. So <laughs> basically, I've never, 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 never been. been. Nah. <laughs> they were like, we're going to give you been. a second time. We've got to find a way. Like, <laughs> we don't care. Yeah, but I've never been. And like, that's literally like, and everyone who's listening is probably like, oh, well, I haven't been to the Brit Awards. But like, that's a Brit school thing. You yeah. go to yeah. the Brit Awards. Like, that's literally it. 
and I've never been. So thanks. Do you know things have changed? <laughs> Things have changed a lot, to be fair. If it makes you feel any better, if you win our year, you wouldn't have gone anyway. Because now they now only take me to your music. Oh, they only take me to your music now. They don't take the other strands. So you wouldn't oh, have gone they. anyway. So before, before the whole pit used to be the whole Brit school. Yeah, no, they ain't got money like that yeah. no more. <laughs> yeah. But like... And then when it, was, when it was my turn, they pulled everyone's name out of a hat. Oh That's really? Damn. Oh damn. <laughs> you got the short end of the stick, Shan. No, my no, honey. I was there. <laughs> what? <laughs> but it's still it's still a I but I ended up because now I work with Sony, I ended up meeting one of the organizers of the Brit Awards. I was like, well <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> And I ended up telling him, but I did go this year, I went to the Brit Award parties and I was like, Do you know what? Actually I wasn't missing anything. Because I was, I'm old now, and like I, I wouldn't be at home to be honest. That's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned earlier about LinkedIn. You said that you don't have it, um, mm. which is quite interesting to me because you're a businesswoman, you're a CEO, and you know I've always kind of felt that there's this thing about not just LinkedIn, but about building networks and building connections and the pressure to do that. And a lot of these websites don't serve black women very well, which is why you see branches off like BYP doing their own thing. Mm. So like, you know, what's been your experience with that kind of thing, trying to build connections and networks and being a black woman? I've literally only um, built, so like I say, Twitter, I only pretty much only follow black people. So I've only, when I was making my connections in podcasting, I only reached out to black people in New York and in LA and people of colour in America. And I've not tried to network with anyone else at all. Mm. <laughs> so I, I guess you've... <laughs> like, I, I don't even pretend. I'm like, everyone knows. If, you, if you're in audio, everyone knows. I do not go to the events. I do not participate in the industry because the industry is racist. Why am I participating in that? I'm over here making my own thing. And everyone wants to be part of my thing over here anyway. No new friends. No new <laughs> friends. Sorry. Sorry. But I don't overlook the racism. I don't overlook it. So I don't, I don't participate. Do you think in some ways that's made it not easier, but you've managed to avoid a lot of the challenges that other black women might face because you just choose not to engage? I mean, it's been extremely hard. But like, I, it's like, if I don't do it, if I'm going to just participate, how are things getting better? So, mm. so I don't, I don't get involved in in it at all, and it makes things hard. It definitely makes things harder for you because you're literally on your own trying to like pave this way. But it pays off. And now look at everyone. Look at signing my equality pact. <laughs> no one else is. They're signing mine. So, so like, tell it, tell it, us what yeah. is the audio pact? Um, so that was. It. So the Equality in Audio Pact is basically, a, it was a challenge to the audio industry. I wanted to have five actions that any company of any size could take today. And the reason I wanted to do it at that point, because I had been, say, I've been talking the diversity talk the whole time, like every since I've been in media, but spe- especially since I've been in audio and podcasting, like I'm not, it's not something I'm quiet about. And I make sure people know I'm not happy with them. I at them. I've been doing that for years. Like I call it out. They just ignore me, but I'm like, I still did it. So whatever. <laughs> um, so, but with the pact, I, so I had the two points. One was pay interns and one was higher LGBTQIA plus 
black people, people of color um, and other minorities on projects that are not only related to the to their identity because you know you'd hire a black person on a black show etc etc yeah and so and then I went to my broccoli team and they came up with the other three points like we the task was you know something that's actionable today so we came up with the five and then the next day we put it out to I basically tweeted it because everyone was like how are you gonna share the message and I went I don't know I'll tweet it and at some people um did that and then it took off like in ways I didn't think I didn't know could because normally I get ignored when like I talk about diversity for some reason obviously the time is right because everyone's like realizing they're part of the problem and the pact just the tweet just took off and by the end of the first day we had 50 companies sign it and by the end by the end of the third day or fourth day sorry the BBC, BBC had signed it yeah, let them and, know. And it just took off. Like, Bauer have signed it. Like, the biggest podcast company in the world have signed it. Gimlet and Wondery. Spotify have signed it. Like, it's taken off globally. And that was just my challenge to the industry to be better. Because everyone knows, like, we know you're not good. And we know you've been doing it on purpose. But now's the time. There's no, like, the excuses are over. Like, just sign the pact. And I think it's great because I think there are really tangible asks mm. that are very clear, very straightforward. There's no like misinterpretation around because, you know, sometimes when you put together a diversity plan, it's like ensure that, you know, you have more people of color in your it's space very wishy -washy. and that could be anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. So the fact that you've literally said, no, you need to pay your interns. No, the people of color need to be on projects that are outside i think the fact that they're so tangible and very clear is super important yeah i was gonna say the the second point about it not being about people's identity i think that that's like such an important one because um i used to work with libs on a podcast before and that's something we always made sure we didn't do so mm. the podcast was aimed at black people but like we wouldn't have someone who was muslim on because it was ramadan yeah, exactly. Because a Muslim person is a person. Exactly. And like, <laughs> our, we'd have normally like three to four guests and we'd always make sure like one was a guy, one was a woman, there was a, mm. a class difference in them. Someone yeah. usually was from the LGBT community. Someone might have been disabled. Do you get what I mean? And it yeah. wasn't because, it wasn't because it was like a tick box system. It was because we were genuinely passionate about getting those different voices and experiences heard. And yeah. I find it so frustrating when I'm consuming content and I see a black girl even like, I think part of the issue, especially is the Black Lives Matter thing. There's a lot of companies that are now like, hey, Black Lives Matter, let's hire black people. Or you're hiring them to do what, the jobs that they're tired of doing. Like, I think it was Tolly mm. that tweeted and she was like, I think Tolly from the receipts tweeted about, I'm tired of writing about my trauma. Like, I don't mm. blame you. Like, there's other yeah. things for you to write about. Do you get what I mean? Like, let a white mm. person write about their trauma. Why aren't they doing it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And that's exactly it. Like, and that's why I wanted actionable things because... <laughs> Broccoli doesn't have a problem being diverse. Like, we've been doing it even when I was a company, just me on my own at home. Like, every yeah. project I made was still diverse. And it's like, because I can do other things. And one of, the, like, what I learned when I was working at the American company was they just saw me as a black sexless blob. Like, half the time I wasn't even a woman. I was just like, they need, wow. I need a black. Mm. <laughs> so I was just a black. <laughs> I wasn't like a black woman. I was like, we need, a, we need one. Here's one. <laughs> and it's interesting yeah. when the industry talks about diversity i mean especially talking about broadcasting television radio is um there's so much to, like what i love about your audio pack is it's like 
this is, I think, one of the big hurdles that big companies struggle to get over is, um, you know, hire people diverse at, like, the... um, to get them through the door, like the apprentices, mm. the interns, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then they never make it to the editors. They never make it to, you know, levels or yeah. upper echelons. It's like, oh, getting them through the door, but actually helping up them up the ladder is a completely different thing. But yeah, like with the hiring and the people moving up, yeah, if you look at the BBC, like there's, or just anywhere, there's loads of um, assistants who are black. And then, but where's the commissioners that are black? Well, are there any? I don't know. There's one. I've seen one, but there might be two. (laughs) But like, there's hardly anyone. And it's like, what do you do? And is it because you're just not hiring them? Is it because they leave? Like, what is it? And I think there's just a wider, big cultural problem with people like to hire in their image. I I do it too. Like, I will hire more black people just because you do hire. It's It's one of our biases. I admit my biases. We all have them. But the um, white people at the top currently don't admit their biases. So they would be like, I just hired the best person. No, you didn't. You hired in your image. <laughs> you hired someone who looks like you, who, who you're comfortable around. That's what you hired. So I think when people acknowledge that, things will be better. But currently they're not. So you won't have the people rising to um, positions of power. Mm. And so with the equality pact in place, like what does the future of podcasting look like for you? Like what's the ideal scenario? I hope more like diversifying the leadership. I hope the content, like you'll have more people of color and black people on shows that are just about anything. So like a cooking show, a sports Mm. show, a health show. Do you know what I mean? Like I do, I don't do sports. But I could. <laughs> I could. Um, I could exercise. I just choose not to. But um, do you know what I mean? Like, but I have interest. Like, I watch TV. Why can't I have a TV show? Like, as in a review show. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I, could, I could do an office rewatch. I watch The Office every day. So, like, I have loads of interests that are unrelated to being black. And I, so I hope that's where the podcasting industry goes. Mm. I think it's interesting you say that. Not so much with podcasting, but with... Um, production or I guess or content and said I think it's link up tv and they've got like a series where they have like a celebrity or an artist that comes in and then their fan comes in and they like click the memo mm. but like that's not really a set of format you'd normally see with the black within the black market or the black in- industry it's normally something you'd see with like white pop culture that's something you see on like good morning britain or whatever those morning programs are <laughs> on there and there's never ever a, there's like really ever a black guest and if they yeah. are they're doing like Kobe and style vegan meal <laughs> exactly like I, I keep saying like on Apple there's a section Apple podcasts and there's a section it's called life at home like a collection and it has 98 um podcasts recommended I because I, I looked at all of them and there was only one visibly POC host out of 98 and bearing in mind the, the bearing in mind the categories are like in the kitchen in the garden book lovers self-reflection incredible listens parenting you know i eat i have a garden i'm not a parent but people are parents i, I can reflect i eat book i you know i read books i, so I could yeah <laughs> but it's like i could you know black people do all of these things the for the kids thing um they've got a for the kids section in that and it's all white shows right and you know there's everyone loves to say like kids aren't born racist and it's like they're not but you make them racist from age two mm. 
<laughs> so they are little they were little racist toddlers because you guys make them it's true <laughs> and it's funny how what you were saying about oh um you know people forgetting that you have interests outside of wanting to talk about being black or blackness like mm. and it happens to me all the time like someone sent me an episode um sorry i think it was a radio show about ballerinas and about mm. um black ballet so like you know this this company that tried to diversify the ballet industry which is mm. interesting but she sent it to me and she was like oh olivia you would love this and it's like, I have no interest in ballet. I've never spoken to you about ballet. I've never, I've never been to see <laughs> ballet. Like, I don't just suddenly go, oh, yes, this is, has me all over it. Because, do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't think you actually yeah, know it's, me. It's you a, think you yeah, know me, but black you person. don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's exactly it. It's like, we have interest in it. So the first battle is to be seen as a human. Mm. Because currently we're not. We're seen as like a black thing. To when you have a black problem, like oh, let's talk to the black one. They know, and because even like when I had I had a meet because obviously I've been having meetings with everyone about like I mean as in white people about like <laughs> everything now, and like I had one meeting with a guy at a production company and he named three black staff members. And he's like, oh, you know them, and I went, no, I I don't. <laughs> Why would I? <laughs> I don't know all the black people. <laughs> ever and like, and like I know white people I live in England <laughs> do you know what I mean well <laughs> like it's Leanne just absolutely no... ridiculous wait I was gonna say I live in England and I don't know any white people Leanne has oh, no you? white friends <laughs> this is like an ongoing I have joke. zero white friends <laughs> <laughs> I mean I know loads I, I grew up in Dagenham like I went my school in my first stage school was in Hammersmith and there was only there was 80 kids 85 kids or something like that and there was only two black ones I was one of them so I was like I had to know white people (laughs) 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 I had to half my family's white anyway as well so (laughs) literally from from day one (laughs) day one this is the dope black women podcast One of the things that I think is really interesting about, you mentioned that, you know, so much of these conversations have come off the back of the Black Lives Matter movement, that it started off talking about racism, police brutality, those kind of things, but has fed into the media industry, the music industry, business, sports, etc. Do you think, um, because for me, it always feels like a catch-22 like, it always feels like, oh, it's great that we're having these conversations. Like, it's great that people are finally listening. But also, why did it take trauma? Why did it take death? Why did it take an act of such violence in order for people to have these conversations? And now, also, what's really interesting is that people are saying, oh, it's gone too far. Because you know, at the moment, everyone's talking about um, voiceover actors and white and black characters shouldn't be played by, yes. voice, yeah. by white voiceovers. I, I, I agree, but yeah. It seems like such a basic have. thing. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But the thing someone is, tweeted it's, it's, the other day, I think someone tweeted, I can't remember what it was, I'm not going to make up the name, but someone tweeted, like, I'm taking down my post of this character because I recognise that it should be this and that. And I'm like, why oh, did you apply yeah. for that? Like, how did you get given that? Because the like, thing is, it's like the same... Sc- Scarlett Johansson hasn't made any statements yet. Because <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> care. But it's the same thing. She was like, I can play a tree... I can play whatever race I want because I'm acting. It's like, no, that's not what the point is. And it's like people, white people, it's only white people who are complaining. Um, They want to play everything. 
on every one. Sorry, my dog's growling. Um, but they want to <laughs> play ev- everything. And it's like, do you know what? Just give... And we say, do you know what? Because Bojack Horseman was one of the latest... Um, the Alison Brie, the artist, mm. the actress who played um, Diane. And I remember watching, there was an episode of Bojack where Diane goes to Vietnam to um, discover her roots because she was... Um, I think she was adopted and she didn't really know her Vietnamese heritage. So she went and I watched that episode. It was really great. But then it, I was like, hang on a minute. Let me Google who actually is playing Diane. <laughs> and that's when I found out it was a white woman. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Because <laughs> I was like, because I'm saying yes. Because then people were like, when Alison Bree said it was a mistake, she did that this weekend. And they were like, but Bojack's a horse. Yes, white people, play the horse. Play lady, um, play the cat. Play um, the dog. Do you know Mr. Butterfingers or whatever he's called? Play the dog. Play everything. Play everything. But don't play when it's a human character that's a different race. Just don't play that. You've got all the other characters and it's not enough. They want everything. Mm. Like, yes, same... you're not going to get a horse to play the horse, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting. I'm playing, I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I think it's interesting because I have seen black people tweet and say, oh, you know, all we wanted was for these men to be held accountable and for police brandy to stop. And now it's become... Because I, I, saw, I saw a tweet, who, basically someone said, I think, you know, I have a conspiracy theory that like it's blown out to become about more things, to take it away from the original point, to make Black Lives think, Matter movement look, look like they were unrealistic. Do you see what I mean? A, I think that's a really narrow way to look at things because if you discover George Floyd, if anyone has watched that video or if you read about Elijah McClain, Breonna Taylor, um, you know, any of the names they're not treated as human beings. And do you know why that is? It's because media shapes our society. Media shapes our perceptions of black people. So in when I was growing up, the only black people you would see was, luckily we had Desmonds, but apart from that, it would be the black people who were mugging people on the bill or Crime Watch. Yeah. So what does that do for the wider community, society, sorry, what do they think about black people? Black people are criminals. That's a society narrative. So the Black Lives Matter, in order, you can get the police officers should go to prison, but does that change the perception of black people in the society? No, that comes from media. If you only have um, white people playing all characters, if you only have, um, you know, what's her name, Scarlett Johansson playing every race, um, you know, what's her, um, Angelina Jolie playing mixed race women and things like that. Mm. What you're saying is that only white people matter. That is what it's saying. Yeah. So in order for black lives to matter, you need to change media. Because black lives matter is everything. It's every aspect of our life. I know I want to see more black female CEOs. I want to see more black CEOs. I want to see black people who are scientists on just being normal. I want to see a black woman talking about how much she loves yogurt on TV. I want to just see anything, but we're not. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like, I just want to see those things. So until you change media, black lives won't matter. Mm. So it is a bigger thing. It's not detracting. It's exactly, it's the same. They're one within the same. I feel like from listening to you speak today, I feel like you're very intentional with like agendas that you have, ideas that you have, um, passions that you have, your goals. You're very, very intentional with it. But something that I've dealt with, um, a lot is actually imposter syndrome. I'm interested in seeing if that's something you've ever experienced yourself. Maybe. I don't know, because I've always, like... My, a lot of my friends joke that I have the attitude of a white man. 
<laughs> have the confidence because of a white man. I think I deserve everything. I am not grateful for any opportunity I've had because I deserve it. And so mm. I realized quite early on that no one knows what they're doing. Like I'm not, I can have meetings with like this, say the CEO of Sony or my, like when I had that business meeting with the guy from New York from Sony to do my deal or like meeting the head of BBC or like emailing with the head of Bawa and things like that. Cause they're just a people, they're just people. I don't care. No one knew what they We're- were doing. They, everyone's making it up. I've, you know, <laughs> don't forget, I got into this industry when I was 14. Like I've seen everyone makes it up. It's all made up. That's so true. <laughs> so I can also make up <laughs> and then, you know, wing it until it works. <laughs> oh, it's true. And especially in podcasting, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a still a relatively new industry. So people yeah. are still finding their feet of what the best methods are. Mm. Like no one has, you know, the exact this is how you make a great podcast and this is how it's yeah, done. Like it's not, people are still working it out. Yeah. People, people talk with authority, but everyone's making it up. So I, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel in that sense. I don't like kind of, I haven't really suffered from imposter syndrome because I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm not grateful for the opportunity. I'm just not Where did that grateful. come from? Not, not being like, grateful. I'm probably spoiled. So I imagine. No, not, <laughs> not being grateful. But like just that kind of, giving zero fucks like how do you even because so many young women we know and i think this is important for other young women to hear Mm. do suffer from imposter syndrome i mean i have i i'm a political scientist and when i walk into meetings with like old white male male philosophers sometimes i have a little bit of imposter syndrome even though i've done the work Mm. and i do have the knowledge so i mean yeah how does that how do you where do you get that from is it just your upbringing i think i think it's genuinely your parents I think a lot of people, their parents, so, so like I said, my mum talked me out of going to university, right? A lot of parents could say, you can be anything, just get a good education. There's a caveat. That's a caveat. Mm, so that's saying yeah, you can only yeah. be good if you do this. My mum was just Here's like, you, you could be good. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless. <laughs> she was like, actually, you don't even need the education. Just do it. So I'm like, so a lot of, a lot of parents put the caveat in your greatness from birth. They say you can yeah. do X, Y, Z if you can do this. So my mum just said to me, right. you can do it. That's so, so interesting. my whole life, I just assumed I could do it. <laughs> like I've never, there's never been a point where my mum was like, oh, like she, she's very cautious. She's like, oh, should you, should you send that message? <laughs> but I'm like, I'm doing it. Cause like she already made me, it's too it's late. She, she created this monster. Um, but like, I think it's that my mum never put the caveat in anything I can achieve. She mm. never said it's because if I do this or if it's X, Y, Z, if I achieve that, if I do this. She always just said, you can do it. And I think that's the yeah. key because a lot of people have to, like it comes with age as well, but like a lot of people have to unlearn what their parents, like what restrictions their parents put on them. Because parents do put, parents are just people. Um, parents put restrictions on their children because they're, cause they didn't have necessarily the, not the ambition, but the dream, the vision, because mm-hmm. you're, we're all, we're all just restricted by what we can see and what we, what we feel we're doing on our surroundings. But I was mm-hmm. always a dreamer. I have only like, I am obsessed with American television. Like I always just saw the world. I was never, Dagenham was never going to hold me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And as soon as yeah. I got internet, internet connection that I have control of that's when I was making my connections in the world because I'm like why am I just sitting in London forget it the internet's here (laughs) 
And that's what I was doing. So I think it's, yeah, a lot of people have to unlearn their parents' restrictions. But my mum never put any restrictions on what on my dreams. And do you have any, like, ad- do you have any advice for women who are feeling that imposter syndrome now? And, you know, obviously we're at an age where it's it's difficult to unlearn things sometimes. Mm. Or just women who want to strike out on their own and do something that's not traditional, whether it's podcasting specifically or just something else. I think it's, you've got to have self-belief. I'm a big fan of research, first of all. Like, as long as you, any industry you're in, research it. Now, that's one of my pet peeves. I meet a lot of people who don't do research. Google is free. Research. But (laughs) research empowers you with the knowledge. Like, Mm. once you learn an industry, like, like as close to the back of your hand as you can, but whatever industry I was in, like, when I was in film and TV, I was reading Deadline every day. Like, I was in with, like, oh, this show's getting made. Oh, this crew's, like, got crewed up, and, oh, that person's writing this. And I just knew what was happening in the entertainment world like because I was interested in podcasting I'm interested so I know who's here there and everywhere so if you if you have that knowledge you just believe in yourself like I know self-belief is hard but you've just got to believe that you can do it because everyone every single person is making it up Mm. everyone so have the attitude of a white man you know I love it. <laughs> Just say you deserve it. <laughs> it's entitled to me. Yeah, yeah, you're entitled. Like, I'm going to have this because I can. Yeah. What are, like, some of the the peaks of your career thus far? Like, what are the things you've loved working on? Um, what kind of things do you want to work on moving forward like what kind of legacy are you trying to build yeah I really enjoyed um and I always talk, I, it's funny because at the beginning of this year I was like I'm going to talk about about race less because like I made that show a couple of years ago now it's like let's move on <laughs> and then it went to number one this year so I was like okay I'm talking about about race again <laughs> um but about race with Ready Edo Lodge was a, a, definitely a highlight because that show changed has completely changed my career um trajectory and it's not that we like Rennie kind of was obviously she's a star (laughs) but like she wasn't at the time when I first reached out it just basically gave me the confidence it solidified that I know what I'm doing I Mm -hmm. was the only person who contacted Rennie Edo Lodge before her book came out to make a podcast like Mm -hmm. that basically means everyone in the industry are idiots (laughs) 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 I did it me Um. and then the fact that I'd put in the like work with her and we were doing like pitching to the company I worked for and things like that it took the whole process took like a year but at the end of the year her book had come out and obviously then everyone wanted to work with her but I was like but she wanted to work with me because I actually contact it wasn't like a bandwagon thing I wasn't just jumping on her hype because her book was a success I was actually wanting to work with her before the book and that's why she ended up working with me. But that just solidified that I am ta- a talented producer because it took me a long time to think, am I actually a good producer? And do you know what? I actually am. Um, so I know that now. Um, but I also, t- producing is like, yes, editing, story, da 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 da. But it's also finding talent to work with. And mm. I, that, what I did then back in 2017, I think when I contacted her first, um, before the book out came out, I was ahead. She broke records, British records, you know, all the book records. She's like the only black author to ever reach the top of the um, book chart. And she is now a New York Times bestseller. 
I was working with her back then and it's like no one wanted to everyone said the idea was broccoli so what that showed me was that the industry do not know what they're doing and so that's that will still be a peak in probably my career as a whole because it Mm. really especially when it went to number one like this year two and a half years later it just showed how ahead we were Mm. even though it was it took terrible circumstances it just showed that everyone was wrong and we were right and it's always nice to be proven right (laughs) (laughs) You know, like even with Rennie, like her book, like I'm not, I can't speak for her, but you know, we both had our such struggles getting projects made and like getting listened to and things like that. And it's like, oh, and now look, zero promo. Look at us with a number one podcast and number one book (laughs) with no, no marketing plan, just because it's like people want to listen to our work and read her work so it's like it just shows that I was right everyone was wrong and people should just listen to me because I obviously know what I'm doing <laughs> more than these that's, white men that's why I'm a dope black woman <laughs> yeah I was gonna yeah. say Ta- we've yeah. come to it at the end now <laughs> see I told you I'm not humble though um but like yeah that but that I think that will always be a highlight because it just, you've really got to because everyone was trying to tell us like no one would listen to that show. Like they didn't mm. want to make it. They said it couldn't be about race in Britain. They said it had to be for a white audience. They were literally oh, wow. giving us every opportunity and every reason to not make that show. And we made it anyway in my house and it went to number one. Wow. Yeah, so like they were wrong. And that's my goal with the industry as a whole and broccoli as a whole is to change the industry because the people who are in positions of power now are not fit for purpose. So there is a new leader in town and that's me. (laughs) Bam, bam. Do you think, um, do you think risk has something to do with it as well? That people aren't willing to take a risk? See, I think, so I've got, I'm doing an actual talk on risk in a conference in Australia in a couple of weeks. Uh, Because I was like, I don't see it as risk. Because I'm like, that's what you should be doing. Like, mm. yes, TV and film are bad. Terrible. But they, if you're white anyway, um, they will r- take a risk on your short film. So, like, that's why short films exist. Because that's how you get, um, a, you know, a deal with a studio. Or that's how, like, you get signed by a, you know, production com- a commercial production company from your short films. That's them taking risks, but it's not risk. That's just industry standard. That's how you find new talent. Mm. In, in audio, they're like, oh, it needs to be Gemma Collins. It needs to be, do you know what I mean? It's like, why does it? Like, what? What are you talking mm. about? Getting a celebrity to do a podcast is no skill at all. You just give them money. Like, I could get any celebrity to do a podcast because everyone's got a price. You just find out what their fee is and you say, here's a project. The skill comes from finding new talent and developing it, working with them and giving them a platform for them to be highlighted. There's no, that's not risk. That should be the standard. Mm. But, but everyone else is just not creative. Honestly, I just think it's a lack of creativity, a lack of vision. So what stories are you interested in telling moving forward? Because you said you're kind of like, you want to move on from the discussion about race. So what's, what's next on... So I've got loads of race stuff. No. <laughs> so, um, so no, when I was saying the discussion about race, I meant the specific show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the show was called About Race. So I was like, I need to stop talking about that show because like it was ages ago. Um, and then it's like, 
everywhere. So we've got um, a show, we're literally in early development for a show about British slavery because I think it is, it's very clear. People don't know anything about it. Me too, because we're not learnt. You know, I read, I'm reading now and like, I'm, I've been reading, like I did my Goodreads challenge last year and stuff. So I'm like heavily on educating myself. But like, there's still so much we don't know. So I want to do a series which would act as like a education, an educational resource um, to learn about British um, slavery. Um, we have a series called Anthems. It's currently um, Anthems Pride, um, but the next series will be Anthems Black. We had programmed our anthem series at the beginning of the year, so it's literally not us jumping on the bandwagon. Like we we decided this back in January when we created the show. Um, but Anthems Black will be exactly like Anthems Women, Anthems um, Pride, but it will be black voices um, doing their anthem. Um, and we have a Broccoli Book Club coming out um, later this year. Again, it, the books will be kind of progressive, um, very much taking into consideration what is happening in the world. Um, so one of our first books will be Afropean and then we'll choose books that are relevant to, so it'll be books like, you know, not about the Burqa, Good Immigrant. Um, we'll do fiction and non-fiction. So it'd be books like um, The Hate You Give. Like it would have, like the, if the fiction book would have a, a wider societal um, context mm. um, when we, it won't just be like the Hunger Games, sadly, because I keep saying the Hunger Games, I love the Hunger Games. That won't be in it. Um, it would <laughs> be, the yeah. Hunger Games kind of has I mean, like I, a that's class what I said. It's like, that, like, yeah, it that, does, does that, definitely. I mean, it's it definitely it a glitch. It's a glimpse into our future. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, the whole thing yeah. about class, you know, you, yeah, can, you can make it yeah. work. Yeah, I think it does have a societal context on, yeah, like how, yeah, the poor people with the no opportunities, the workers are down in District 12 working in the mines mm. and the richies are in the capital. Um, yeah, so I think it does, yeah. <laughs> but basically, but the, so the book club's going to be like a progressive kind of, yes, um, social, informative um, book club. And then... Um, yeah, that's it. There are podcasts that are coming out this year. And then I just want to keep on making content like that. Just, I always take into consideration the wider societal context. I don't want to just make shows for the sake of making shows because everyone else does that. I want to, everything I make has a reason. Like, what does it say about our world? Who, what voices am I platforming? What conversations need to be had and all of that. So that's what I've always done and that's what I'll continue to do. And one day I want a book deal as well. I'll put that out there. (laughs) I want a book deal. I have to write one, but I want it later this year. No, (laughs) we'll see. It will. It will. I mean, I'm sure. You deserve it. You're entitled to it. (laughs) Um, so yeah, speaking of which, are there any black podcasts that you want to show to whether or not you're working on them? Yes, I really love, so I listen, sadly, I do listen to a lot of American podcasts (laughs) because I don't know, I don't know why. Um, it's just different, I guess, to life, isn't it? I feel like Americans put a lot of money into the podcast industry though, but but we don't. Oh, hundred percent. But I even mean like, just even if it's like a talking podcast. Like, I think it's just an escapism to me. Um, it's just something completely different. Um, but let me look on my list of what I'm What podcast to. do you guys listen to, actually? Shan lives. Like, what What are you listening to right now? I love the read. That's American. Oh. I, okay. That's but... my number one. I didn't want to say them because I'm like, who doesn't say the read? <laughs> <laughs> but they just kill it every time. They're so funny. Um... I, can I recommend an episode? 
yes of a podcast because i was listening to it's in context to the black lives matter movement now and the understanding the police in america um and the hosts are poc but it's called the podcast is called through line and the episode is called american police and it's basically about um and it was like literally i was listening to it today when i went to walk to my car um but it's about how the american police like came to be and mm-hmm. they used to and originally it's not originally that they weren't it didn't wasn't like an involvement from like slave catchers to the police but basically that's what they were so originally yeah. back in like 400 years ago there were slave catchers which would be the white men you know american men who that would be your job to catch the slaves and then to um um, if the, if you caught them one like kind of like walking around around off the plantation, you would um, implement corporal punishment. So basically, you whip them and sometimes like set your dogs on them and things like that. And it basically shows the violence. It shows a link, a direct link to the mentality of the police now. Mm. When they see a black man walking versus when they see a white man walking, because it's inherently in them to act this way because it was it's kind of like that was the that's how you that's kind of like the original american police right there's the the slave catchers mm-hmm. and then they evolved into like oh no we've got to like install law for everyone but it's not for everyone it's like they treat obviously black people very differently to white people and so i thought that was a really good episode just detailing the history mm. of it and i think it's like an hour so it's not that bad um and the new one it's not by black it's not by black people but it is about it makes you understand race again and it's the new slow burn and it's about david duke you know the leader of the kkk oh i will definitely listen so, to that um one. that's just started and again like they do have black producers on it um but um it yeah so it will I think they're good. They're what that's what I'm listening to. Like apart from the read, obviously, and like my usual like fun shows. Yeah. <laughs> but I always like to recommend. Like I think because of the whenever I'm on a show like recommending podcasts, I always th- try to think of the context of what is happening now. Mm. Like whatever is happening, and like refer you like to that because I think it's interesting. Again, this history because even when with slow burn, like you can watch. I'm not watch. I listened to like the the Bill Clinton one because I was like a kid at the whole Monica Lewinsky stuff, and I was like, oh my god, I didn't know half of this. Even when you listen to like you know when you watch the OJ um, documentary, I was like, yeah. I mean, I only remembered the court case, but then you hear all these things, you're like, oh my god, I knew nothing of this. So with things like that, we'll we'll know of the KKK, but there'll be so many details of like the what industries, organizations they've infiltrated, how deep in society, in American society they are. Mm. Um, I think it'll be a good series to listen to, especially with the context of Black Lives Matter now. And yeah. Mm. I would say I also, I love a good crime podcast. Like I love Serial. I love um, Lime Lime Town. I love Criminal. Like I I think because like um, crime TV shows are really popular. Like everyone likes a good crime drama on Netflix. Like, See, I crime love podcasts crime are sick. dramas. I got weirded out with crime podcasts because they made real pod, real crime and, and and Netflix are kind of doing that now. But like, mm. I was like, should we be making entertainment out of like this girl's murder? 
I don't know. Like it makes me because you know, like they proper do hang like um, what do you call them? Cliffhangers. Mm. And I'm like, should we have a cliffhanger now? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's more um, the ones where you follow the story. So there's a really good yeah. one I listened to called Verified, which yeah, is I about to it. oh, Verified. Yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah. yeah. So My that friend is about made that one. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I really enjoyed that about this guy who used an app similar to Airbnb to lure mm. was it, was young it women cra- in. Was it was it Craigslist or was it not? There's a house or couch. Oh, yeah, couch, couch surfer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then lured these young women in and then sexually assaulted them. But I was going to say that, you know, I do think there is definitely a lack of black female voices within crime. I would 100%. love to see that more, 100%. There was one, oh, I can't remember. There was a crime podcast. I actually re- recommended it on our Broccoli um, Instagram. But she did an episode about um she's it's a black it's a black hosted i'm trying to find it now crime podcast um and she she had a, um an episode about is it joy marie oh my um, oh the little white girl joy morgan no joy morgan the you know oh, the same. church what church was it i can't remember isaiah i want to say uh but she went missing basically and then it was one of the church um congregation had killed her but she oh. did an episode on that. It was really, really interesting. Oh, wow. Um, my, obviously my phone's on airplane mode, so obviously it won't <laughs> load. I will check it out. I will check it out. <laughs> but, um, Thank you. I'll try and find it. But um, yeah, it was really... It's, so there are, there are, but they're very few and far between. Mm. Um, a good place to find black um, crime podcasts, though, is um, Podcasting Colour, um, the directory, because she has a crime um, oh, category, oh, and then you, it's all like POC hosted, black and POC. So, Amazing. like, you can find loads. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, and where can people find you um, online? Only on Twitter, because Instagram is for me. Um, and it's <laughs> Renee Rich. People try to add me, and I have to decline them. Um, <laughs> um, it's Renee, R-E-N-A-Y, Rich, on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on LinkedIn. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just Twitter. <laughs> And broccoli content, I should say as well. Oh yeah, because yeah. we, we can people can go to the website, check out what you're doing. Yeah, look yeah, at yeah. Your yeah, broccoli packs. is broccoli content on Instagram, Twitter, and yeah, we've got a website, broccolicontent.com. Dope. Amazing. So thanks so much for coming on, Renee. We really appreciated it. And I think, yeah, there's definitely some inspiration there for women who are interested in creating their own spaces and Um, building their own businesses so thanks so much for sharing with us thanks so much for listening guys don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from on twitter and facebook we're dope black woman and on instagram we're dope black woman one we'll be back with you next week until then stay blessed and unapologetically black all the way black black tastic hey (laughs) (laughs) i did it Can I, because there was a natural pause there, something's burning. 
Um, I need to turn it off. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, because I could smell it. Sorry. Yeah, 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 go for it. I will be back. But there was an actual pause and I will answer that. But um, Leanne can edit it. She can edit. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.